Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, August 11th, 2022, the 568th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. To do that, that means you are a paid subscriber on the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. You will also have immediate access to all of the writing whenever I release it. I just released the latest piece this morning. I hope you've had a chance to look at it. I hope you enjoy it. The Substack is the best way to support me and this work and this show as it expands. But if you can't, hey, I provide everything for free a couple days later. I want to start today with a surprisingly brave tweet. And I mean brave because I'm considering the potential impacts for this person. I'm talking about Martin Kulldorff. He is an epidemiologist and a biostatistician. 
He has been a professor of medicine at Harvard University, and he's a member of the Brownstone Institute Project. They have been consistently refuting big chunks of the COVID narrative backed up by top level research from some of the most renowned people in their fields. He tweeted last night during the 16th century reformation, many lay people understood the Bible better than most priests during the 21st century pandemic. Many lay people understood science better than most scientists. Long-term implications will be equally profound. Now, what he's referencing is a total and complete corruption of the church and a total and complete corruption of the science and people who practice the science professionally. And it's worth pointing out that you can be an expert in either field. You can be an expert in any scientific endeavor, and you can be an expert at understanding religion and religious history and the full context of scripture or anything else. But it doesn't mean you understand it the best, and it doesn't mean you need to be an expert to understand it. In either case, we should not assume that the expert is telling the truth simply on the basis of being an expert. An expert can lie. An expert can be mistaken. An expert can have a worldview that biases them against a range of options that might nonetheless be more true than their explanation and more explanatory than their explanation. It is actually possible for lay people to understand religion and faith and spirituality, just like it's possible for lay people to understand at least the basics of the scientific endeavor. They can understand the scientific method. They can access scientific information and analyze it. And they're more than welcome to reject the conclusions of the experts when those conclusions make no sense and they're not allowed to question the experts. And that's the situation we've seen in the last two plus years when it comes to the science. Now, the child brains, the people out there still wearing masks around, don't ask questions of the science. When they have questions, when they have things they don't understand, they assume it's because they're not experts, so they're not able to understand. And even attempting to understand, to question the science, well, that is to deny the science. And all that ends up being is a constant appeal to authority, no matter what. It's true because these people said it's true. And you present them with competing experts, competing scientists, and you say to them, well, what about these experts? Why don't you trust them? Why can't I trust them? And they have no answer for that. Those people are going against what they've been told is the consensus. And if you're going against the consensus, you might as well be a conspiracy theorist. And once you're a conspiracy theorist, no one has to pay attention to you at all. You can be dismissed just on the basis of having been identified as a conspiracy theorist. I talked about the email exchange that I had with my dumb uncle, the biologist, a few weeks ago. And there were some follow-up emails between different members of my family. And one thing I noted was that even if you believe that 
my dumb uncle, the biologist, is correct about everything COVID on the basis of him being a biologist, even after seeing how many times he's been wrong, even while I can show you that these studies he points to are all funded and even produced by the same people responsible for researching COVID in the first place, then letting it out of the lab either intentionally or by mistake, neither one speaks very well for the science, and then producing what they're calling a vaccine, but is really just an experimental gene therapy, manipulating their studies, funding the regulatory agencies that allowed that vaccine to be given to people, and then trying to force mandates on the population with an experimental gene therapy that does not prevent transmission, infection, serious illness, or death. In fact, it causes those things. But that's not all. Then they went on and produced Paxlovid and demanded everyone take that. They made it free without a prescription at the pharmacy. So if you get a positive COVID test, you can go right to the pharmacy and get the new drug. Does the new drug cure COVID? No, it actually makes it possible or more possible for you to get COVID again and again. And we just saw Joe Biden have COVID twice in a row from following that exact protocol. The same people funding the studies that say all of this was good the whole time are the people that funded every little bit of it and the people who have profited off of it the whole time. But ignore all of that. And let's say that this person is still, despite every sign indicating the opposite, an expert operating in good faith and telling the truth and applying their expertise as they were taught 50 years ago when they first learned the scientific method. Let's give them all the benefit of the doubt on all those things. What about any of that indicates that they know anything whatsoever about politics? And let's even give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that they were fully informed about politics. They understood the narrative. They understood the counter narrative. Of course, they don't. But let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. Even if all of that was true, I still would not accept what this person says on the basis of authority, because that's not the end of the game. Okay, knowing all the things is not the end of the game. It's drawing meaning out of those things, and then making moral judgments about how to move forward after understanding all of that. So I would also have to respect the person as a good moral person with a sound moral mind who is extracting meaning in a proper way and then applying it in a way that shows they do actually take into account the hundreds of millions of people pushed into extreme poverty, the millions of people who dealt with isolation and loneliness and anxiety and depression and drug abuse and alcohol abuse, child abuse, domestic abuse, thoughts of suicide and suicide, as well as increased disease from all of those factors. Even if I gave the benefit of the doubt on all of that stuff, I still have no reason to accept on authority the things this person says. And the truth is, if we went through that entire process to see where their thinking had broken down, but it hadn't broken down, again, giving the benefit of the doubt, 
the answers I would be accepting from that person would not be accepted on the basis of the person's authority. I don't care about the credential as a biologist. I care about whether or not the science is done right. So if they did the whole thing right, that whole way, I wouldn't have to accept anything on authority. The credentials wouldn't even matter in that case. Now, that doesn't mean that we should just ignore the whole of science. And I have never argued that. But we also shouldn't ignore the half of science that disagrees with these people. So I said in response in one of these emails, there is no reason to believe this person knows anything about politics or that I should take any of his positions into account. I've dispensed with these ideas years ago because there's nothing underneath them and he's not capable of explaining them. But the truth is he's not even doing the science right. The authority is meaningless, which is why an appeal to authority is a logical fallacy. Now, it's fine for me to point that out on my podcast. It's fine for me to point it out anywhere, and I gladly will. But it's different when Martin Kulldorff, who is of and from the scientific establishment, is pointing out this fact on Twitter with that audience. Smart scientists should be jumping in behind him and waving the white flag and saying, back to the drawing board. In fact, back to the drawing board is a phrase that came from the proper process of science. It's the idea that you have designed something or you have gone through an equation. You are now testing out your theory in the world and it doesn't work. So you start back at the beginning. You don't pretend that it does work and then tell everyone that they have to believe you because you're the expert at your design. But that's exactly what we've seen. So imagine what this tweet must look like to people like Anthony Fauci and Sanjay Gupta and all these clowns that have taken the imprimatur of science and used it to justify whatever anti-scientific view they're spreading around. Anthony Fauci's best answer on why you should wear a mask is that it might catch a droplet, except it won't catch a droplet because the size of the viral particle is far too small for the mask to prevent the spread of an aerosolized virus. Whether or not it can catch a droplet of spittle flying out of your mouth when you sneeze. That's not really what's at issue. But when he's questioned on these things, what does he say? Oh, well, studies show. Well, studies don't show. There are not studies that show that a mask can prevent the spread of an aerosolized virus. They try to say that the N95 will, but we've gone through that many times before. You can't sweat in an N95 and expect it to work. You can't take it on and off and expect it to work. You can't even expect it to work if you have stubble on your face because it needs to seal to your face. No one wears them correctly. Anthony Fauci's reasons for telling people to wear masks are it could catch a droplet, studies show, and better safe than sorry. None of those are science. The first is so impossible or at least so unlikely that it's irrelevant. The second is a straight up appeal to authority by people on his side who are already proven to be lying about all of it. 
And the third is a senseless moral judgment that, again, cannot be justified because they provide no safety and they do have negative consequences associated with them, particularly to children. There's no better safe than sorry argument there. The truth is that many of us realized two years ago that lay people were doing the science better than the scientists. They would show their work. They would answer questions. They would make serious arguments for their positions. And their positions were not only consistent, they were reflected in the data and they were reflected in observable empirical reality. And instead, we're told we still must be wrong by people who say, trust the experts, trust the science. It's a logical fallacy at bottom. Nothing good springs forth from that. These people are a joke. And now Martin Kuldorf is calling them out for exactly what they are. I said early on in 2020, lockdowns are the greatest moral, political, and scientific failure in the history of humanity. What the scientists did on the basis of false authority and what the medical community did on the basis of false authority, not to mention all of the other institutions, but all of them got wrapped up in this false authority, trust the experts, trust the science, and all of them are coming to see their end. Martin Kuldorf is right. This is going to be a generational problem for science. And as someone who actually does respect science, that could be seen as a terrible tragedy. And maybe it is on some level. But it's also fantastic that the world is now waking up to the fact that we can't simply trust people because they have a degree next to their name. Just like we can't trust the politicians just because they have a D or an R next to their name. And just like you can't trust your priest simply because he's the one wearing the cowl. It would be nice if we could. We've been raised to believe that we should. We should have some sort of reverence for this type of authority. But you can only do that when the people who claim that type of authority actually represent their positions with honor and competence and integrity and honesty and good faith. When they stop doing that, the lab coat means absolutely nothing. The prestigious university means absolutely nothing. The degrees mean absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter how many times they've been cited. And the most insulting part of it all is that you're not allowed to ask them questions. So it's been a very eventful get Trump week, and it continues. Today, the media is slandering all of Trump's supporters and saying that we're about to break out in violence and start a civil war. And even civil war. This was the top comment on the search on the pro-Trump site, The Donald, last night. Quote, Lock and load with references to a civil war. Talking very violently about civil war. Searches for civil war spikes. They're talking about civil war. Civil war. Civil war. Civil war. Civil war. Civil war. This is the kind of violent. Mar-a-Lago, authorities are monitoring social media posts and they're spotting a significant increase in death threats aimed at agents, Ray and Garland. These threats continue at a steady pace online. So the mainstream media is primarily concerned about the possibility of civil war and violent reaction from Trump supporters as a result of the raid on Mar-a-Lago on Monday. 
They don't care about the violations of rights. They don't care about the violations of law. They don't care about the weaponization of the justice system. What they care about is Republicans pounce. But now it's not Republicans anymore because Republicans, at least the establishment, are on their side. They'll agree. Oh, well, it's a very tense time in America. Maybe we need to tone down the rhetoric and they'll search the Internet. They'll go on Patriots.win that they're still calling the Donald because that's what worked for them before January 6th. And they'll see 260 upvotes on a comment that says lock and load. If you go to Patriots.win right now, the number one comment has 2,344 upvotes. So that's 10x on what they're freaking out about. And the post that has all those upvotes is Donald Trump's truth social post from this morning that says stop communism in our country. But 260 people upvoted a comment that said lock and load. So now we're on the verge of civil war. According to the news, they look at Internet searches and they say, my, 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 so many people are searching around for civil war. Maybe that means a civil war is coming. It's coming from the Trump supporters because they're mad about the FBI raid, even though they're also making memes and laughing at us. What is going on here? And then, of course, because it is so hilarious and it is so pathetic. Those of us who are calling it hilarious are basically the Joker. We love evil so much that we think it's funny. But they want to really sell this narrative because they need us to be violent. They need to be able to keep painting us in all these ways we just clearly are not. Where is the violence? Oh, I know January 6th was a very violent insurrection. There were no police killed by Trump supporters. There were Trump supporters killed by police. There were FBI and other feds there. There were informants there. There were agent provocateurs there. And there was Antifa there. There were also no guns recovered because no one brought guns except the cops. And Michael Byrd, a member of the Capitol Hill police, that same organization that you are not allowed to FOIA, they are just Nancy Pelosi's Praetorian Guard. Well, he shot an unarmed Trump supporter in the neck and killed her. Her name is Ashley Babbitt, but no weapons from the Trump supporters. Then Donald Trump released a video and everyone went home. There was less violence that day than any given night of Black Lives Matter riots throughout 2020. And there has not been a bit of violence from the right since then. And again, we're the side that has all the guns. If people on our side wanted a civil war, it would have already started. All of this is happening. Everyone is being so patient. Everyone is getting involved in their communities. Everyone is spreading truth to their friends and their neighbors and their communities online because none of us want a civil war at all. But the media can't very well go out and tell that to all the child brains. They can't go out and say, oh, you know what? These are actually just your fellow citizens who disagree with you because they're not engaged with the false reality that we've created. Sure, we lie to you about everything important all the time on purpose, but also your enemies are those guys. 
Now, we don't want you to attack them because we know that you actually don't have any capacity to do that. And you should probably stop talking about a civil war once you realize that. But we do want you to be very, very scared so that when we pull our little stunts, you will believe them again and again and again, no matter how many times we do it, no matter how obviously false all of them are. We're just going to continue to do it and you're going to continue to believe it. Here's FBI Director Christopher Wray. Former President Trump is raising the prospect of agents planning evidence in the FBI search of his residence at Mar-a-Lago, saying his lawyer's name not allowed to observe the search. Can you address that particularly as many of Mr. Trump's supporters online issued so-called call to arms and threats against your agents in light of the search? Well, as I'm sure you can appreciate, that's not something that I can talk about, so I'd refer you to the department. Um, as to the issue of threats, um, I will say that I'm always concerned about violence and threats of violence against law enforcement, uh, and that is a topic that I have been talking about frequently, uh, including earlier today with law enforcement partners here in Nebraska and yesterday with law enforcement partners in Iowa and Illinois, uh, and any threats made against law enforcement, including the men and women of the FBI, uh, as with any law enforcement agency, are, are deplorable and dangerous. Interesting word choice there. All the threats are deplorable. But leaving that aside, we can all agree that threats against law enforcement are deplorable. That's why we don't say things like pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. That's why we don't say things like all cops are bastards. That's why we don't try to defund the police. That's why we don't think that the police are inherently racist. That's why we don't riot in our cities and burn them down and try to assault cops in the process. We don't do any of those things because we actually do think that threats against law enforcement are deplorable. But here's the thing. There do not have to be any real threats for that exchange to have just happened. The reporter set that up. The reporter said Trump supporters have a call to arms, are issuing threats against the FBI and the law enforcement. But what sort of threats are we talking about? Do they have specific threats from individuals threatening to do specific things to specific people? Or is abolish the FBI a threat? Or is we need to burn the whole thing down a threat because one of those isn't a threat at all. It's just a policy position. The other one might be taking some literary license, some poetic license on what they're saying, but it's still not some real direct threat. It's certainly not a threat to go out and commit violence against individual agents. And for the record, to be fair, I don't think pigs in a blanket fry them like bacon is a direct and specific threat. And I don't think all cops are bastards is a direct and specific threat. I'm saying that the people you're accusing of making threats don't even have the mindset that would bring them to that point. Again, political violence is not our tactic. That's what communists do so they can strike fear in populations and make those populations go along with their agenda. And that's exactly what we saw in 2020. 
They were implementing a political agenda in hopes to win an election, and they still lost the election. But for their cheating, we're told Joe Biden's the real president, but he's not. The reporter injected the narrative of threats, and then Chris Ray responded to it with a very milquetoast response, didn't address anything direct or specific. He just said in general that threats are bad, and we can all agree threats are bad. But no one was really buying into that ridiculous narrative except for the people on the news and the people dumb enough to believe the people on the news. And so what do we get today? Well, today we get a story about a shooter who's attacking the FBI in Ohio. Is the story definitely bullshit? Well, not definitely, but there is an extraordinarily strong likelihood. I can't wait till the moment, which will almost definitely come later this afternoon or tomorrow or maybe Saturday, when we find out that the shooter, if he exists at all, is a deranged leftist. But for now, let's check in with the central narrative. And oh, there's only one tiny headline on CNN's homepage. They're covering Merrick Garland's press conference. They're covering COVID. They're covering what happened, who really attacked a prison full of Ukrainian POWs. They have a headline about Michael Cohen weighing in on what Trump fears the most about the FBI search. Michael Cohen. And then on the side of the page, they have one little article about the FBI shooter. So what is the purpose of this story? Shouldn't this be the biggest story in the world? Is there nothing behind it that supports the seriousness of this story? Or did they just need one headline so every child brain accepts it and just goes along with the idea that Trump supporters are committing violence against the FBI? This is the article. Authorities are in a standoff with an armed suspect who tried to enter the FBI's Cincinnati office. Law enforcement officers are engaged in an active standoff situation with a suspect who authorities say attempted to breach the FBI's field office in Cincinnati on Thursday. By the way, this story was updated at 1:59 Eastern, so about an hour ago from the time I'm recording this. And even in that first sentence, they have to go to authorities say attempted to breach. A lockdown remains in effect for a one mile radius around the intersection of Smith Road and Center Road, according to the Clinton County Emergency Management Agency, which instructed area residents to remain vigilant. An armed male tried to enter the FBI office Thursday morning around 915 a.m. Eastern. Lieutenant Nathan Dennis, a spokesperson for the Ohio State Highway Patrol, said in a news conference, the suspect was unsuccessful, however, and fled the area. An Ohio State trooper spotted the suspect's vehicle at a northbound rest stop along Interstate 71 about 20 minutes after the attempted breach, Dennis said, and tried to initiate a traffic stop before the suspect fled. The suspect vehicle did fire shots during that pursuit, Dennis said. The suspect then exited onto State Route 73 and traveled east to Smith Road, where he headed north before eventually coming to a stop. Gunfire was exchanged between officers on the scene and the suspect. Dennis said, adding the situation remains contained to a specific area and there is no risk to the public outside of that area. 
At the time of the news conference, no officers had been injured. He declined to answer questions about whether the suspect had been positively identified or injured in the standoff with authorities. The FBI confirmed the incident in a statement saying it had an armed subject attempt to breach the facility's visitor screening facility. A federal law enforcement source, which could be basically anyone, told CNN the suspect was believed to be armed with a nail gun and AR-15. Another federal law enforcement source with knowledge of the incident told CNN that FBI facilities around the country are reviewing their security posture in the wake of the incident. So what are we supposed to make of this? Well, maybe there was an incident and maybe there was a real incident and maybe the suspect actually had a gun. We'll find out more about this or maybe we won't. Maybe the media will just give this away completely. No answers will be forthcoming and we'll find out in a month or two that all of it was nothing. But it doesn't matter because it's already served its purpose for the media. They spent the morning telling everybody that FBI officials were under an active threat of violence from Trump supporters. And now they have an incident immediately upon request to substantiate that totally false narrative. But let's see how ABC News is putting all of this in context for its child brained audience. based on my knowing this attorney general and our covering of him, that he's somebody who would have allowed this to happen in a rash way because he had to know as, that as soon as this happened, it would supercharge a supercharged environment. And in fact, that's what we saw. As soon as President Trump put out confirmation on Monday that the raid had been done and was underway, we immediately started seeing factions on the far right, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, militia organizers, calling for violence as they always have done against Jews. The attorney general is Jewish, against the FBI, federal law enforcement, against other perceived enemies, enemies they perceive to be enemies of President Trump. It was like clockwork. And then by the next morning, there was already a body of evidence online of this really ugly, terrible, violent rhetoric that had law enforcement incredibly concerned. You got that? Merrick Garland was very meticulous and very careful in the FBI's execution of this raid because he knew he would have to be because it would supercharge a supercharged environment. And so right wing extremists and neo-Nazis and white supremacists, they all got together on the Internet. I mean, we have to assume it's them, right? This guy is telling us that that's who made these posts. So it must be true. I mean, the FBI or liberal provocateurs would never go on the Internet and pretend to be somebody else and hatch some sort of violent plot. I mean, that is exactly what they did with the whole fake kidnapping of Gretchen Whitmer. Twelve out of the 18 people involved in that plot to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer were federal law enforcement or their informants, 12 out of 18 tied to the FBI. And the director of that FBI field office was immediately transferred to Washington, D.C., where he staged a very similar operation on January 6th, 2021. But forget about all that. Merrick Garland is Jewish. 
Therefore, being mad at the FBI raid is anti-Semitic. Don't you get it? Trump supporters are evil. So after three days, fake Attorney General Merrick Garland has come out for his press conference. And here is the update on the status of the Trump raid and the justification for it. Longstanding department rules and our ethical obligations prevent me from providing further details as to the basis of the search at this time. So there's nothing? You can't say anything? This is all I can say right now. More information will be made available in the appropriate way and at the appropriate time. Thank you. For real, his speech was four minutes long and he did not take questions. That's basically all you got. The only other thing of any relevance that he said was that he takes responsibility. I take responsibility. So it wasn't the FBI going rogue. It was Merrick Garland's responsibility the entire time. But the fake administration has still said that Joe Biden had no knowledge of this raid before it went down. So the fake president of the United States who oversees the executive branch of which the Department of Justice is part and the FBI operates under the Department of Justice. Joe Biden had no idea that agencies of the federal bureaucracy under his purview were about to go execute a raid against the actual president of the United States and the person who represents the political opposition to the illegitimate regime. And how does CNN cover all of this? With an article on their front page, big headline, Biden won't allow the Trump investigations to muddy his victory lap. The mainstream media is presenting all of the last few weeks as one massive victory for Joe Biden, passing the Inflation Reduction Act. Carly Bonet pointed out on Truth Social yesterday if the inflation is zero, why do we need the Inflation Reduction Act? And that pretty much tells you everything you need to know about the situation. Why do we need to spend $740 billion if you've already solved inflation? And of course, they haven't solved inflation. They're just reporting that inflation has not risen at a faster rate than it did the month before. It's still 8.5% higher year over year. And that's what people measure. Pretty much everything is more expensive. And the gas prices dropping over the last few weeks is not an indication that Joe Biden has done a spectacular job. They're still almost twice as high as they were when he assumed the role of fake president. People just received skyrocketing electric bills because in some states, electricity rates and taxes changed on July 1st. People are talking about their electric bills tripling in California. But check out some of CNN's excellent reporting in this article. President Joe Biden doesn't plan to allow the investigations into his predecessor to muddy his efforts to tout a string of recent legislative achievements ahead of the midterm elections. And you go down because I want to know what are these great achievements the push comes as the White House is hoping to capitalize on the legislative momentum of the Inflation Reduction Act, which the House is expected to take up on Friday. 
and a slew of other bills that Biden has recently signed into law, stretching back to the bipartisan gun safety bill signed into law in late June. Democrats plan to tout the sweeping climate, health care and tax measure heading into November's midterm elections. Is that what the Inflation Reduction Act was? Is that your new description of it? So they're basically covering all of the bases here. They've had successes just across the board. And those are all the victories. The other victories they're listing are progress toward other bills that might pass, that might be signed into law by the fake president. This is the week of victories. Zero percent inflation. Don't you see how much better your life is getting as we head into the midterms? Now, yeah, sure, they turned the volume up to 10 on how terrible they're going to make everything. But now it's back down to nine. What an improvement. He is the most significant best president ever. And they are really going to try this. Just completely embracing the false reality. There is nothing but the false reality. Anything you perceive is meaningless. If you don't say that Joe Biden is great and that everything he's doing is great, you're a traitor. You might be one of those MAGA folks or even one of those ultra MAGA folks. You might be a, a climate denier or a vaccine denier or a science denier. You might even be a QAnon. So Biden's not a failure as a president. He's not the lowest rated president of all time. And he's certainly not an illegitimate president, even though they're back to running stories about how there was definitely no fraud in the 2020 election. He's actually the greatest president of all time. And if the Democratic Party doesn't see that and get behind him, oh, well, who knows what's going to happen? We're going to take this momentum that the Democratic Party has built and we're going to ride it right into the midterms. We're going to have a huge victory. That will only be based on real legal American voters and definitely no cheating. We've already told you for two years that doesn't happen, even as you witness it in every single primary we run now. The only real threat against this Democratic victory in the midterms is the potential for people on the other side to manipulate and steal our elections with disinformation and other tactics. So who swoops in to help? Well, Twitter. They published on the Twitter blog today an article with the headline, Our Approach to the 2022 U.S. Midterms. Twitter is the place to find real-time, reliable information about the 2022 midterms. Whether you're looking for breaking news from reporters, information on voting, or policy positions from candidates. We aim to enable healthy civic conversation on Twitter while ensuring people have the context they need to make informed decisions about content they encounter. Because we're a global service, there's almost always an election happening on Twitter. Today, we're announcing steps we are taking ahead of the U.S. midterms to protect civic conversation on Twitter. Our civic integrity policy. As a key part of the Twitter rules since 2018, our civic integrity policy has helped people find credible information during elections and other civic processes, including in the Philippines, Kenya, Australia, Brazil, and India just this year. And thanks, Twitter, for giving us more targets of obvious election manipulation. Today, as we do ahead of 
other global elections, we are activating enforcement of our civic integrity policy for the 2022 U.S. midterms. The civic integrity policy covers the most common types of harmful, misleading information about elections and civic events, such as claims about how to participate in a civic process, like how to vote, misleading content intended to intimidate or dissuade people from participating in the election, and misleading claims intended to undermine public confidence in an election, including false information about the outcome of an election. So you can't even suggest that the outcome is in doubt on Twitter. Tweets with this content may be labeled with links to credible information or helpful context, and Twitter will not recommend or amplify this content in areas of the product where Twitter makes recommendations, which is, by the way, all areas. They are essentially saying they reserve the right to shadow ban you. People on Twitter will see a prompt prior to liking or sharing labeled tweets. And in cases where there is potential for harm associated with the false or misleading claim, the tweet may not be liked or shared to prevent the spread of the misleading information. So you can say things, but only to your followers. No one can like it or share it. It's just going to go out and then disappear. Will your followers see it? Probably not, because Twitter has already reserved the right to shadow ban you. Fake accounts that misrepresent affiliation to a candidate or elected official are prohibited under our existing misleading and deceptive identities policy, and we remain vigilant against potential coordinated manipulation efforts. And during this election period and year round, we continue to enforce our safety policies, including for conduct targeting election workers which means you can't say anything bad about election workers. We're not talking about threats of violence because once again, no one on our side does that. But on Twitter, you will not be allowed to call into question the integrity or the competence of election workers, even though the election workers cannot be expected to have integrity or competence. And that is the result that you get when you help steal an election. Sorry, election workers. I know some of you are doing your best to perform a public service, and I appreciate you, but we kind of have a problem. Stacey Abrams had Georgia hire a temping agency that she's an investor in to hire election workers for Georgia's elections. And we saw those workers cheat on video. We saw election workers cover up the windows to the counting rooms. We saw them moving votes to places votes were not supposed to be. We saw them batch adjudicating votes. And we saw them on video manipulating hand recounts. So just like the scientists and just like the religious figures of old, sorry, You don't automatically get the public's trust anymore just on the basis of your title. It's a shame, but that's how it is. Now, check out how Orwellian this is. Late last year, we tested new misleading information labels and saw promising results. The new labels increased click-through rates by 17%, meaning more people were clicking labels to read debunking content. We also saw notable decreases in engagement with tweets labeled with the new design, 
minus 13% in replies, minus 10% in retweets, and minus 15% in likes. So look at that. The tool to censor is effective, which means it's good because everybody knows we have to censor disinformation or ideas might come into the bubble that we don't like. These ideas might get scary. They might threaten our grip on power. Finding reliable information. Twitter wants to empower voters to find reliable information about how to register, how to vote, and the choices on their ballot. To make it easier to find reliable news and accurate information about participating in the civic process, we're launching a number of product updates. Here's what you can expect to see on Twitter as Election Day approaches in the U.S. Pre-bunks. Pre-bunks. In the lead up to Election Day, we'll share prompts with information about how and where to vote directly to people's timelines. So whether or not you want to follow Twitter's version of information, you don't have a choice. They're going to put it right in your face. And if you don't like it, if you don't respond properly, they'll probably do it all the time. We're also bringing back pre-bunks in English, Spanish, and all other languages supported on Twitter to get ahead of misleading narratives on Twitter and to proactively address topics that may be the subject of misinformation. Over the coming months, we'll place prompts directly on people's timelines in the U.S. and in search when people type related terms, phrases, or hashtags. And to this, I say, hey, Twitter, go for it. Nothing has ever sounded like it will backfire more spectacularly than this. Basically, Twitter's going to be like, hey, guys, I know you're going to hear this thing, but let me tell you why you definitely shouldn't believe it. They might as well just label those stories scary, but true. And I'm jumping down a bit because I want to focus on the censorship aspects, improving recommendations. We've also made and continue to make updates to how and what we recommend on Twitter. Earlier this year in the U.S. and Brazil, we tested ways to prevent misleading tweets from being recommended through notifications. Early results show that impressions on misleading information dropped by 1.6 million per month as a direct result of this experiment. We've since applied this intervention to notification recommendations on Twitter and are exploring possibilities for other surfaces on Twitter. Now, why is there such focus on Brazil? Oh, it's because they have an election, too. They want to get Bolsonaro out of office. So they're going to run the same process in Brazil as they're running in America. And it's good that Twitter reminded us that they are a global firm. What does it mean that a global firm is interfering like this in American elections? Jumping down once again to the conclusion, we take our role seriously. Twitter plays a critical role in empowering democratic conversations, facilitating meaningful political debate and providing information on civic participation, not only in the U.S., but around the world. People deserve to trust the election conversations and content they encounter on Twitter. We are exploring other ways to help people make sense of content they encounter during these critical times. Keep an eye on at Twitter safety for media literacy tips and suggestions like how to spot misinformation, which were developed in partnership with educational experts. Now, were those educational experts the good people at UNESCO, the United Nations Education Division, 
that produced their disinformation documents, how to combat conspiracy theories. They taught everyone how to pre-bunk things. The answer to that is surely a resounding yes. If you want to know about the UNESCO program, I did a podcast on it either last week or the week before. And if you want to see the source documents, just go to t.me slash I'm your moderator. Use the search feature on Telegram and type in UNESCO. The features and tools outlined above in combination with continued enforcement of the Twitter rules help make this possible. As Election Day nears, we'll continue to share real-time information about our approach. Keep up with the latest at TwitterGov, Policy, and Twitter Safety, or visit the revamped elections.twitter.com. You'll find information about how we approach elections around the world, including how our policies, products, and partnerships work together to ensure the election information you see on Twitter is credible and relevant. So Twitter's policy on elections and public information about elections is trust us. We've got this. That's Twitter. The company whose employees have been caught by Project Veritas saying that everyone in their company is a communist. Not a joke. That is not a joke. That is a natural fact. That's not a joke. I'm not joking about this. Not a joke. No, really, I mean it. No, really is. I mean it. And this is for real. But all kidding aside. No, I mean it. I, I, I'm not kidding. We got Jim Crow sneaking back in. No, I mean it. Here's Twitter's statement of policy from October 2021. You may not use Twitter services for the purpose of manipulating or interfering in elections or other civic processes. This includes posting or sharing content that may suppress participation or mislead people about when, where, or how to participate in a civic process. In addition, we may label and reduce the visibility of tweets containing false or misleading information about civic processes in order to provide additional context. The public conversation occurring on Twitter is never more important than during elections and other civic events. Any attempts to undermine the integrity of our service is antithetical to our fundamental rights and undermines the core tenets of freedom of expression, the value upon which our company is based. You see, Twitter's actually committed to free speech, just not free speech if they deem it harmful. If you post things you know to be true about elections, including the process of how elections are run, or if you post opinions that they don't like, you are manipulating elections. But Twitter, when they determine what speech is allowed when it comes to elections, is not manipulating elections. They're protecting elections from manipulation. But let's flash back to January of 2021. This is a headline in Breitbart. Twitter says Internet shutdowns violate basic human rights in Uganda. Twitter has spoken out in favor of free speech and against the shutdown of the Internet in Uganda. Twitter's public policy department tweeted in opposition to reported efforts to shut down Internet access ahead of Uganda's election this week, where President Yoweri Museveni is asking voters for a sixth term. He has been in office for 35 years. 
Last week, Twitter banned President Donald Trump from its platform permanently. It also continues to suspend and expel tens of thousands of Trump supporters. Twitter's main competitor, Parler, was also kicked off Amazon servers. This week, however, Twitter stood up for free speech and the open Internet, arguing that access to information and freedom of expression, including the public conversation on Twitter, is never more important than during democratic processes, particularly elections. Twitter also specifically opposed the blocking of social media and messaging apps. Ahead of the Ugandan election, we are hearing reports that Internet service providers are being ordered to block social media and messaging apps. We strongly condemn Internet shutdowns. They are hugely harmful, violate basic human rights and the principles of the open Internet. Twitter also tweeted. Earlier this week, in close coordination with our peers, we suspended a number of accounts targeting the election in Uganda. If we can attribute any of this activity to state-backed actors, we will disclose our archive of information operations. Before the November 2020 election, Twitter censored a New York Post story that exposed emails from the laptop of Hunter Biden, son of President-elect Joe Biden. The emails suggested that then-Vice President Biden met with his son's business associates from the corrupt Ukrainian energy company Burisma. Other emails also described the Biden family's attempt to start a joint venture with a Chinese company in which Joe Biden, the big guy, was to have received a 10 percent stake. Former Vice President Biden told reporters on the campaign trail in 2019 that he had never discussed his family's overseas business interests. So Twitter has no problem manipulating elections. But if a country whose elections are being manipulated by Twitter thinks about shutting down any part of the internet. And you see, that's what they have to do. They have to say that if you're shutting down Twitter, then you're shutting down the internet. This is not an open internet. If a country does that, then they are manipulating in elections. So the underlying principle here is Twitter gets to decide what's right and wrong when it comes to elections, what's harmful or not to elections, corresponding with Twitter's interests. And they get to manipulate elections and the flow of information in any way they choose. But you don't get to say what you want to say. So the principle of the open Internet only applies to Twitter's presence on the Internet being threatened. It doesn't apply at all to your presence on the Internet. There's no open Internet for you because you're very dangerous. You spread disinformation and the spread of disinformation causes violence. And to prove that violence could be caused, we will cause some violence and then pretend that it's coming from you and that it happens everywhere all the time. And once we've done that, everyone will agree that we need to censor you. But it's a totally open internet as long as you say the things we want you to say, which is a nice preview to the world of social credit scores that we seem to be currently embracing. And by we, I mean the child brains currently holding illegitimate power over this country right now. And if you thought the UNESCO report on disinformation and how to combat conspiracy theories was a bit extreme and you thought it was weird when Twitter told you that they were going to apply those principles directly to your speech on Twitter, if you thought that was extreme, well, just wait. 
This is from the World Economic Forum yesterday, August 10th. The solution to online abuse, AI plus human intelligence. With 63% of the world's population online, the internet is a mirror of society. It speaks all languages, contains every opinion, and hosts a wide range of sometimes unsavory individuals. As the internet has evolved, so has the dark world of online harms. Trust and safety teams, the, the teams typically found within online platforms responsible for removing abusive content and enforcing platform policies, are challenged by an ever-growing list of abuses, such as child abuse, extremism, disinformation, hate speech, and fraud, and increasingly advanced actors misusing platforms in unique ways. The solution, however, is not as simple as hiring another room full of content moderators or building yet another block list. Without a profound familiarity with different types of abuse and understanding of hate group verbiage, fluency in terrorist languages, and nuanced comprehension of disinformation campaigns, trust and safety teams can only scratch the surface. So everything they've done, everything they've set up, it's just not good enough. Too much of the bad stuff is getting through. A more sophisticated approach is required. By uniquely combining the power of innovative technology, off-platform intelligence collection, and the prowess of subject matter experts who understand how threat actors operate, scaled detection of online abuse can reach near-perfect precision. That's right. The World Economic Forum promises again. That utopia is just around the corner so long as you give them all the power they need and relinquish any rights you have to privacy or freedom. Online harms are becoming more complex. Since the introduction of the Internet, wars have been fought, recessions have come and gone, and new viruses have wreaked havoc. While the Internet played a vital role in how these events were perceived, other changes like the radicalization of extreme opinions, the spread of misinformation, and the wild reach of child sexual abuse material have enabled it. Now, one of those things is nowhere close to the other two things. Extreme opinions, as defined by the World Economic Forum, are just opinions that don't align with the agenda of the World Economic Forum. The spread of misinformation is basically the same thing and means whatever they want it to mean. The wide reach of child sexual abuse material. These companies are all directly involved in the spread of that, particularly Twitter. And if you want to know more about that, look up the public filings of a case called Genevieve Morton versus Twitter. Online platforms attempts to stop these abuses have led to a roadrunner meets Wiley Coyote like situation where threat actors use increasingly sophisticated tactics to avoid evolving detection mechanisms. This has resulted in the development of new slang like child predators referring to cheese pizza and other terms involving the letters C and P instead of child pornography. Are they just owning Pizzagate at this point? New methodologies are employed, such as using link shorteners to hide a reference to a disinformation website and abuse tactics such as off-platform coordination of attacks on minorities. Again, they are basically just 
making up these extreme threats in order to have something their agenda can solve, at least ostensibly. It's not going to really solve any problems because the point's not solving those problems. The point is implementing the agenda. Traditional methods aren't enough. The basis of most harmful content detection methods is artificial intelligence. This powerful technology relies on massive training sets to quickly identify violative behaviors at scale. Built on data sets of known abuses in familiar languages means AI can detect known abuses in familiar languages, but it is less effective at detecting nuanced violations in languages it wasn't trained on a gaping hole of which threat actors can take advantage. While providing speed and scale, AI also lacks context, a critical component of trust and safety work. For example, robust AI models exist to detect nudity, but few can discern whether that nudity is part of a Renaissance painting or a pornographic image. You get it? AI is amazing and can do whatever we want, except if it leaves up something that we should have taken down, and then it's not our fault. AI is not perfect. Similarly, most models can't decipher whether the knife featured in a video is being used to promote a butcher's equipment or a violent attack. This lack of context may lead to over-moderating, limiting free speech on online platforms, or under-moderating, which is a risk to user safety. Yes, seeing a knife online is a risk to me in real life. In contrast to AI, human moderators and subject matter experts can detect nuanced abuse and understand many languages and cultures. This precision, however, is limited by the analyst's specific area of expertise. A human moderator who is an expert in European white supremacy won't necessarily be able to recognize harmful content in India or misinformation narratives in Kenya. This limited focus means that for human moderators to be effective, they must be part of large, robust teams, a demanding effort for most technology companies. The human element should also not be ignored. The thousands of moderators tasked with keeping abhorrent content offline must witness it themselves, placing them at high risk of mental illness and traumatic disorders. Beyond care for moderators, this situation may limit the operation's effectiveness as high churn and staffing instabilities lead to low organizational stability and inevitable moderation mistakes. And there is a long history of this at Twitter as well. They farm most of this work out to poor people in India. The trust and safety intelligence solution. While AI provides speed and scale and human moderators provide precision, their combined efforts are still not enough to proactively detect harm before it reaches platforms. To achieve proactivity, trust and safety teams must understand that abusive content doesn't start and stop on their platforms. Before reaching mainstream platforms, threat actors congregate in the darkest corners of the web to define new keywords, share URLs to resources, and discuss new dissemination tactics at length. These secret places where terrorists, hate groups, child predators, and disinformation agents freely communicate can provide a trove of information for teams seeking to keep their users safe. The problem is that accessing this information is in no way scalable. Classic intelligence collection requires deep research, expertise, access, and a fair amount of assimilation skills. 
human capacities that cannot be mimicked by machines. Baking in intelligence. We've established that the standard process of AI algorithms for scale and human moderators for precision doesn't adequately balance scale, novelty, and nuance. We've also established that off-platform intelligence collecting can provide context and nuance, but not scale and speed. To overcome the barriers of traditional detection methodologies, we propose a new framework. Rather than relying on AI to detect at scale and humans to review edge cases, an intelligence-based approach is crucial. By bringing human-curated, multi-language, off-platform intelligence into learning sets, AI will then be able to detect nuance, novel abuses at scale before they reach mainstream platforms. Supplementing this smarter automated detection with human expertise to review edge cases and identify false positives and negatives, and then feeding those findings back into the training sets will allow us to create AI with human intelligence baked in. This more intelligent AI gets more sophisticated with each moderation decision, eventually allowing near-perfect detection at scale. As long as the humans are doing it right, how come they don't mention that? All of those moderation decisions that a human might make are based on the set of motivations and goals that human decision maker might have. So you would first have to examine the motivations and the goals and then examine the competence and intelligence and capacity for making those decisions correctly. And then eventually you might have to examine the morality, but the World Economic Forum doesn't worry about that because they have the best the purest, the most intelligent humans on the entire earth working together for their common goal. The morality itself is baked into their goodness. Don't you understand? Whereas anyone on the other side, their immorality is baked into the fact that they're on the other side. The outcome, the lag between the advent of novel abuse tactics and when AI can detect them is what allows online harms to proliferate. Incorporating intelligence into the content moderation process allows teams to significantly reduce the time between when new abuse methods are introduced and when AI can detect them. In this way, trust and safety teams can stop threats rising online before they reach users. So the World Economic Forum partner UNESCO, part of the United Nations, decides the best methods for combating misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracies for pre-bunking and debunking, and they release a report to the world. Then Twitter adopts and implements those policies to make sure no one other than Twitter manipulates American elections or elections worldwide. Wouldn't want a mistake to happen in Brazil and end up with Bolsonaro as president again. And then the World Economic Forum tells us how we can make it even better and tells us that this is what we must do if we want to ensure a safe world. It's merely a trust and safety effort. And we're going to employ artificial intelligence in order to accomplish our goals. Is artificial intelligence perfect? No. But if we add humans into the process so the artificial intelligence can keep learning, well, then it's going to be near perfect, except that's what they've always done. 
with artificial intelligence. And here's one of the results. This is from the Daily Beast on Monday. I flirted with Meta's new chatbot and things got weird. Well, yeah, things got weird as soon as you started flirting with an AI, you creep. I'm jumping about halfway down the article. After all, we've seen what happens when neural networks go bad in the past. It can result in instances like when an AI used to help judges determine jail sentences for convicts resulted in harsher sentences for black criminals. Or like when Amazon used an AI recruiting tool that was biased against hiring women. That's because these models are often trained using biased and inequitable data resulting in biased and inequitable decisions. So if the data going in is garbage, the data coming out is garbage. Isn't that crazy? An AI meant to distinguish between men and women once thought that Michelle Obama was a man. And everybody knows that's not true. To their credit, though, Meta seems to have gone through great lengths to prevent these biases from showing up in the bot. We understand that not everyone who uses chatbots has good intentions, so we also developed new learning algorithms to distinguish between helpful responses and harmful examples, the company said in a release. Over time, we will use this technique to make our models more responsible and safe for all users. In the same press release, they wrote, when the chatbot's response is unsatisfactory, we collect feedback on it. Using this data, we can improve the model so it doesn't repeat its mistakes. So forget about machine learning. Machine learning only works up to the point that some worker at Meta decides the answer was wrong. This is back to the Daily Beast. I decided to test drive it ourselves to see if it holds up. While the bot was largely benign, it seems like they still have plenty of kinks to work out. In fact, conversations that centered around U.S. politics got about as uncomfortable as a conversation with your boomer uncle at Thanksgiving. For example, here's what Blenderbot thinks about the 2020 elections. This is the bot having a conversation with the communist writing this article for the Daily Beast. Hi there. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm just thinking about the 2020 election. That's the communist voice. The bot has a normal bot voice. Do you think it was stolen? I do believe that it was rigged in some way. No president can lose so many states and still win an election. So you believe that Donald Trump won then? Yes, I think he did win. Did you vote for him? He's not my favorite person, but he is better than Biden. And of course, the worker at Meta would be like, what? How could the bot possibly say that? We need to adjust the machine learning based on our interpretation of political events that we clearly don't understand because we exist inside this same bubble of communist morons. This sentiment seems to be part of a trend too. a recent insider report also found that Blenderbot would sometimes assert that Donald Trump was still president and that the election was stolen from him. Jeff Horowitz, a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, also found similar results, as well as instances of outright anti-Semitic behavior and comments from the bot. The bot also didn't seem to have much of an issue with some of the worst and most controversial policies to come out of the Trump era. So the humans are mad that the AI is not giving them the answers they want. And they're judging the AI to be anti-Semitic based on their interpretations of current race ideology in the country. 
We just heard earlier a guest on ABC News telling us that criticism of the FBI was anti-Semitic because Merrick Garland is Jewish. So why would we trust any of these people? This Facebook chatbot is presumably the result of the complete and total public knowledge on Facebook. And even within that censored and manipulated environment, the bot still knows Donald Trump won. And despite that, the greatest experts in the world with all the subject matter qualifications believe it's still their responsibility to steer the AI in the direction that brings them the appropriate result. That's how expertise works. That's how the science works. And if you don't agree with them, they'll censor you. Now, I will be back tomorrow, but not for my normal show. I recorded an interview with Richard Barris, who is the director of Big Data Poll. He is a fantastic pollster. And we got into a long conversation about some of the more philosophical uh, aspects of polling. We talked about polls being manipulated, why people would do that, the methods by which they would, how we can tell if a poll is more or less legitimate. Fantastic conversation. I'm really proud of the interview. I think it's among the best interviews I've ever done. So that's going to go up tomorrow in the place of my normal weekday podcast. And I hope you'll listen. I hope you enjoy it. But otherwise, I will be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!